We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. This is going to be the weekend edition. We're recording this on January 20th, Saturday. Hope this podcast finds you well. And Andrew Spade, who's with me, I hope it finds you well as well. What's up, man? I'm doing good, Jake. It is uh, cold here in North Carolina. I'm sure it's cold there in Ohio as well. Mm -hmm. It's the middle of January. Not much to look forward to this time of year except for playoff football. And I'm I'm really feeling it today that I, I felt so sure that the Browns were going to end up playing the Ravens in the second round. It's not that I was taking the Texans lightly, but it just felt like that had to happen with Flacco and everything else. I, by the way, I'm sure he is devastated to not be able to play his old team. I, I'm sure part of what he was excited about was that game, the potential of that game, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And I, I like you, didn't envision a world in which the Browns didn't get to that game. That That's a bit of a me problem. Uh, I think ultimately I was okay. I Mentally, it almost sort of, to the point where I was approving the type of season they had, giving it a thumbs up if they got to the Ravens and then ultimately they couldn't beat them. So the, happening the week before, you know me, I'm pretty positive on this group this year and I feel like it was a success, but just sort of didn't even cross my mind that they would go to Houston and, and play that way. So yeah, waking up today, looking at the slate, putting a couple bets in and being like, man, they're not playing today. That's a big bummer because it felt like they were destined to get to this game. So we have to swallow our pride a little bit root for the Texans, which I don't find to be all too hard because, you know, big CJ Stroud believer over here. I know you are too. And he, I think he makes it fun to, to follow that team a little bit too, because of, of just how ahead of the curve he is as a rookie. So I will be excited to sit back and watch that one. And then obviously the late game is going to be extremely exciting with uh, green Bay traveling for another old school NFC matchup that includes a Fox. I wish Fox would just do the, the throwback like game graphics. Wouldn't that be sweet? If like you had the game graphics with the very basic Fox score in the corner, cut away to Pat Summerall, just being as bland as can humanly be to cover a football game, the most <laughs> lack of emotion ever. Um, that's what it makes sense me think of. Latter-day Al Michaels is giving him a run for his money, man, in terms really of just is. having a, a, a very low pulse. So, um, If Summerall yeah. were subjected to Thursday night games, though, do you think he would just be like, I'm not here. He might talk. He might not talk. He might yeah, just. That's what, you might just yeah. kind of do it. Do the whole thing with 
nonverbal communication, which would be interesting. <laughs> oh, man. Those guys, the classic duo there. But that's what these games on the NFC side make me think of because they were all over our TVs growing up, just nonstop. For sure. So for sure. um, we'll talk about that. We're going to pick all four games here in just a little bit. Before we do that, though, we are going to get to a um, wrap up of our mailbag that we received the other day. We want to do we did a part one. Now we're going to do part two. Uh, before we, we dig into the first question, though, Andrew, it is pretty quiet on the OC front, which is a bit surprising, I think, at least. Yeah, it's very surprising. I think we, when the news broke, the first podcast we did, we we, we both said this is going to happen fast. And I I felt really confident in that, that they would have somebody hired maybe even by this weekend, beginning of next week. And it does not appear, unless things are happening behind the scenes and they're, for whatever reason, it's not leaking out. It yeah. does appear that things are moving a little slow, more slowly. So I think it's interesting insofar as we have some indication or at least one NFL reporter suggesting that maybe this was not Stefanski driving that decision. It makes me wonder if there's a little bit more hesitation about who is going to be on the candidate list mm-hmm. and who they want to talk to and what talking to those people would entail. Because, as we've discussed before, uh, uh, an o- offensive coordinator like uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I'm blanking on it. Kellen Moore, for example, mm-hmm. is not going to even probably take an interview without understanding if play, play calling is on the table, right? Correct. So maybe some internal discussions about that are slowing down the process of those interviews, or maybe it's all happening behind the scenes. And the Browns, the Browns are very, very, very good at keeping things quiet. Yeah, I mean, to the point that Justine Anderson will complain about it publicly. Right. So there you go. Right. I mean, th- th- all you all you need for proof of that is that the Deshaun Watson thing didn't leak for yeah. from Sunday. It was a Sunday afternoon game, and there wasn't a ripple on the pond until Wednesday morning. That's a long time in the NFL during a season with Correct. the number of players on the team, the number of people in the front office and in the coaching staff, any of whom could have texted their buddy who texts somebody else, you know, it, it, this stuff yep. gets out all the time. Every, every team in the league is leaky, but yep. the Browns have done a really good job of locking all that stuff down. And it makes situations like this kind of frustrating to follow because you just don't know what they're doing. Which can be a bad thing. And it can also be a good thing. I, I keep going back to what Flacco said over the weekend, a guy who's been in several different organizations, the Baltimore Ravens who are at the peak and pinnacle of his time of being a well-run organization, and he just had nothing but glowing things to say about how the Browns are operating, right? So, like, yeah, that's frustrating for us, for for content people like us who are trying to have conversations where we inform you. Um, but that's kind of why we try to be a reactionary pod more than a prediction pod because the prediction game is dangerous and you're not connected to the biggest names in social, right? Like these guys, like there's not even local breaking stuff anymore. It's so rare. It's all coming from the biggest names in the business because those agents, even the small time ones, are trying to curry favor with those insiders, right? So the the whole pathway to breaking news these days comes from these big names that, that get fed stuff from agents. So uh, long story short, we don't have any information because nothing's been out there. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it might not be a good thing either because like Andrew said, it could be relating to who's calling plays and guys just immediately being like, is that on the table? It's not, okay, I'm going to pass. And that's understandable for guys who are trying to escalate their way through this whole process. So I'm not surprised by it. I wouldn't say I'm concerned, but it's certainly not going as well as I thought. Because last year, Andrew, it felt like there were six very public defensive coordinators to choose from. It was like everyone knew. I feel like this is a situation where the Browns could pick from like like 100 guys. Like it genuinely could be that broad in terms of the names they're looking at. 
And to me, I continue to be like, if I had to predict something, it's going to be somebody you don't expect that gets this job. That's my opinion. Where are you at on it? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think especially considering the way that it's unfolded the first few days with the one public interview being an, an offensive line coach who has not ever been an offensive coordinator in the NFL, and, and that feels like a certain type of hire. I, I, I agree with you that I think it'll probably be a little bit out of left field. I think my feel for this has maybe shifted over the past few days in terms of it felt decisive in such a way that you felt like maybe it was similar to the Ventrone hire last year where they didn't want to do it, but then a candidate maybe being available that they didn't think would be available forced them into action and made them reevaluate their approach. And so they were, they kind of had somebody in mind that does not appear to be the case. And as a result, I'm, I'm tending to think that now they're, giving Stefanski an opportunity to kind of rebuild the staff the way that he wants to. And so it'll probably be a under the radar hire for OC that doesn't call plays and and is more to replace the Van Pelt game plan piece of the puzzle. Yeah, we're seeing that pretty similarly. Let's dig into the questions though. Um, so we can push through. Uh, I think there are five pretty good ones here. So first question comes, can we address the O-line play? This comes from, uh, let me make sure I get the name right. Uh, let me see the real Xavier P. There you go. Um, can we address the O-line play overall the last five games versus the first five games with Deshaun Watson? Was there a difference in how bad the tackles – sorry, was there a difference how bad Jedrick Wills was versus Jerron Christian and other tackles? Did Deshaun Watson seem slow because he didn't trust Wills more than not being comfortable in the offense and Kevin Stefanski helped backups better? Um, I'll answer this and then I'll throw it to you too, Andrew. Um, I would say that Jed was um, – trusted more obviously than Jerron and it um and it changed how they uh, in the second half like let me put it this way when uh, you know um Dewan Jones was playing right tackle they didn't have any issues every now and again a couple pressures but he was pretty stellar so he was fine for a large portion of the season Jed I think started poorly but got better as the year was wearing on a little bit more consistent. And uh, when Jerron took over, if they didn't help him and then they didn't help Hudson. So at the end of the year, like the last five games, if they didn't help the tackles, they were getting exposed. Like you were leaving like a 90% chance your quarterback was going to get hit in some form or fashion. You had to hope the ball was out quick. Again, I can't be any more clear about this from watching the playoff game. I even posted a clip the other day. Like they, um, if they didn't, if they left one of the two exposed without somebody chipping a player, they were getting the quarterback was getting hit or sacked. It directly led to two of the, or sorry, three of the four sacks, and then it led to the turnover. The first interception was because James Hudson got beat pretty bad, and Flacco tried to throw out of getting hit. So, I don't think the first five games of tackle play were anywhere near as bad as the last five. But I do think Kevin got a little better at helping them, and there's potentially some more that they can do to help Jedrick next year a little bit more when they need to help him if they keep him around. Right. So I don't think uh, I feel pretty comfortable in saying, I don't think the O-line was, was great the first five weeks, but they certainly were better than what they were trotting out at the end of the season. Yeah. It's that thing where you can survive having a bad tackle. You really struggle to survive having two bad tackles just in the NFL period. There's, there's it, you're limited on offense because you're having to devote four players of 11 to blocking two players from the defense because you got a chip. And the run game suffers. 
you, you don't have a preferred side anymore. Everything just kind of feels restricted. And I think the Browns do deserve a ton of credit for getting what they got done offensively down the backstretch of the season with that immense limitation. You know, as, as far as the question, I think that Deshaun Watson, an important thing for people to remember about him is he he has always invited pressure. In, in Houston, in, at Clemson, he... He he doesn't want to throw the ball away. He processes fairly. Sometimes he'll see it and rip it pretty quickly, but sometimes he wants to hang on and see if something develops. He's a playmaker. So he has had sack issues everywhere he's gone. It led to the Texans trading for Laramie Tunsil to try and fix it. But but a lot of analytics have shown that quarterback sack rate, especially in the NFL, tends to be a quarterback stat, not a offensive line stat because Different guys process the game differently, get the ball out differently. Think about the number of times this year where the the Browns pass rush is not getting home, and it's like, well, they're throwing it in two seconds. So that doesn't that doesn't have say anything about the quality of the Browns pass rush or the defense or offensive line they're going against. It's just about Trevor Simeon knowing that he he goes one two throw and every time, right? So if if, if the quarterback is on that plan where they know they've got to get rid of the ball quickly that can help your protection the browns wanted to take shots with flacco so they schemed them up often so that they could wait more like four or five seconds to let the downfield routes develop watson has never been a fan of one two throw that's just not who he is so whatever they do at tackle next year however it sorts itself out between wills conklin dewand anybody they bring in Watson is going to get pressure. He's going to get hit. He's going to take sacks because that's who he is as a player. Well said. He's got to improve that part of his game. That's a, the the quick game stuff. Well, and then obviously tying into keeping his body healthy. Those are the two things. I mean, it's I I this is one area where I am. I will admit that I am very cynical, negative, borderline negative about Watson. He's not going to change that stuff. He has like, to. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. The evidence right. says he won't. But right. if he's going to survive and ever be good the rest of the way, because he's close to 30. You better find a way to get rid of the damn ball quicker. Brother. I totally agree, Jake. Yeah. I I just whether it's not, his personal I'm life. Wrong. I'm not even saying you're wrong. No, I I'm, know, but I, 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 I it's one of the it's and honestly, it's one of the things that's frustrating about the trade, right? Because yeah. whether you're talking about the personal stuff or this, he has not shown a propensity to be very reflective about how to improve himself. I think that's a very fair criticism, and that sucks. Yeah, it does because one of the ways that quarterbacks players in the NFL get the best out of themselves is by finding their weaknesses and fixing them. Yep. You know, guys are playing into their mid thirties. They're throwing the football really damn quickly. They don't take hits. Yeah. They decide. You remember when the Browns played Tom Brady last year? Yeah. It was like hop it was record time. Not that that's a good thing. That's a little bit far on the pendulum. I think that if you talk to people right. from Tampa, they're like, Tom was pushing that envelope a little too far. Yeah, um, and you saw a little bit from from Joe, too. These older guys yeah. just do not want to eat the hits anymore. It's not yeah. worth it to them. It's like the the first interception is the perfect example of just take a sack. It's not the end of the world to take a sack on first and 10 to to instead of throwing it up. Like, just, I don't know. Anyway, I'm reliving a horrible moment. Next question. Uh, comes uh, to us from, uh, let me make sure I get the person right again. Don't have the list of names up in front of me, which I should be a little bit better about that. Uh, we'll get to it. I'll find your name while we're talking through this. So not necessarily a Browns question, but thoughts. And you know this. Actually, Andrew, why don't you read that? Because you you have a little more experience with uh, with this uh, with this player. That's true, Jake. Yeah, so this is a kind of a rugby question. So 
Um, thoughts on the news of rugby star Louis Reese Zamet. So his name, I just want to break that down for people because this is an audio medium. His first name is Louis. His last name is hyphenated Reese, R-E-E-S, dash Zamet, Z-A-M-M-I-T. Right on. It's, a, it's an elite name. And, and he's this question, an elite. Yeah, this question comes from David. Uh, Dave, Dave is Dave S and Ninja. Dave's a ninja. There it is. Dave's a ninja. Right yeah. I, I screwed he, that up for a second. And a rugby player uh, or yeah. fan. Uh, yeah, so so one of the better rugby players in the world, uh, at the at, really at the top of the sport, announced really controversially this week that he was going to pursue a career in the NFL. Give me and an NFL comp for like how big he is in the sport. He's young, so he's. I mean, uh, he really burst on the scene over the past few years. So probably not quite Mahomes level, but like, wow, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, who's the, who's the, flashiest... so let's put it in wide receiver. Is he like a Jamar chase? Yeah. That's big. That's yeah. huge. Imagine Jamar chase saying I'm going to go play baseball. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, yes. It's, it's at that level. It's a little bit different because rugby is segmented into the international piece of it is so important. Yeah. Because they, they they play for their club team, but then they also play for their international team. So what happened this week is is the the he plays he's uh, split nationality English and Welsh, and the 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 uh, Welsh team is about to. There's a tournament every spring, well, late winter, early spring, called the Six Nations in Europe. If you're jonesing for football in a few weeks, look up the Six Nations. You will not regret it. Okay. The the roster for that was being announced this week. The day the roster was being announced, he's like, actually, I'm good. And he's the best player on the Welsh team. There's like 35 guys on that roster. He's their best player. I mean, he's, or, yeah, no, he is. And and the the coach of, of the, the, the Welsh team said he found out like an hour before he announced the final roster. So this is as epic a, a sports story as you could get. I think I actually think Jamar Chase in that neighborhood. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson is a really good comp for who Reese Samet is as a guy that kind of showed up very young and was like ready to like one of the best as soon as he hit the scene, basically. He's uh, so he, yeah, he's like six oh three, two fifteen, uh, big dude. He's going to be a running back, wide receiver. The NFL announced in in terms of where he's going to try and catch on. And I don't know what he's going to run a 40 in, but he outruns literally everybody on the field with him anytime. He's... So, some of the clips you sent me were jaw dropping. He's yeah. moving at a different speed than these people, like yeah. fast forward type mm-hmm. of speed. Yeah, in, his, like in his game, yeah. yeah, in his game, I would view him as like maybe, yeah, I would say it's like Tyreek Hill type mm-hmm. type of fast. It, is, it is hill speed. Yes, it yeah. is. So I think the, the questions for him are going to be if he wants to be a, a, a wide receiver, the questions are all going to be about stop start because there's not a ton of that in rugby in terms of coming in and out of your breaks quickly. When we were talking about this pre-show, I kind of mentioned DK Metcalf as a comp because in college, you didn't really see Metcalf turn, you know? And so that is interesting as a running back. I think it's makes more sense in terms of he has a natural feel for contact and then can hit the hole hard and, and and explode in in kind of a some of those runs there's a little bit of a Nick Chubb quality right because he's just pulling away you know in in out of traffic where you don't expect him to kind of be able to get up to that top speed so quickly I was looking through some of his like Wikipedia that doesn't obviously tell the whole story to see if there's like is there some relative that was like an American to 
have this tie to pull himself away from something that obviously is going to make a ton of money doing. There's no doubt he can go back and do it and be just fine. But like, this is a huge decision. And I wonder like when he became obsessed with the NFL in enough manner to want to do this. Talking about money, there is definitely a lot, lot, lot more money in the NFL than there is in rugby. Right on, right on. From from a financial perspective, rugby is still a fairly niche sport in Europe. There are areas, regions, like in Wales, for example, it's quite popular, but it's not well capitalized. And the media rights are not because it's just not, it's not a TV draw in the same way that the NFL is here or the Premier League is in England. And so... He's never going to be, if he makes it in the NFL, if he has, you know, I'll just, I'll just say like a functional NFL career makes a few rosters, maybe signs one large free agent deal. That's he will have made more money. Now there's the promotional aspect and all that sort of stuff um, where he probably can make some, some good money with that stuff. But again, because rugby is fairly niche, I do think that there are probably fewer promotional opportunities. And I think there's an opportunity here, Jake, because the NFL is getting bigger in the UK. It is that he could multiple he, weeks over there at a time. Right. He could he could truly be the face of the NFL in mm. the UK. That so might you think be conspiracy the theory stuff. Would be like he ends up with the Jags. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think it would be a smart marketing move for a team that wants to grow their UK fan base. Yeah. To try and get him yeah. on a roster. I'm looking I, here that his net worth is five million as of 2023. So okay, yeah. I I mean I I could see it very like I could see him working as a. The more I'm thinking about this, I'm wondering about him as like a move tight end. Could see that because he's hey, not yeah. he's yeah. not afraid of contact. He knows how to use leverage. Every rugby player does. So he would be a functional blocker, and then you add that speed component. Because he's if he's already six three two fifteen, he's going to add a little bit of weight naturally because nobody needs to be heavier than NFL players like he's right. So mm-hmm. maybe he finishes, you know, play plays at like 2:30. There are absolutely tight ends in the NFL playing at 2:30. So yeah, no, no doubt, dude. I, I think th- I I'm wondering if maybe that's the fit for him long term. Maybe the next Kyle Juice check. There we go. Maybe could be a fullback. <laughs> Move fullback. A similar size. I mean, 6:3 is big though. That's tall. No, it is. He's tall. Yeah, and he is he's he's not he's naturally up, runs pretty upright. So I, I think he is going to, you know, if he was a, a full-time running back, I think he would probably eat some pretty rough hits. But I, I'm very curious. This is, it's a great question. This is by far the biggest name to do this. I would love for the Browns to get involved. Let me be clear yeah. about that. Yeah. Love for that to happen. So, and the way that works is that player does not take a roster spot. Yep. The Browns did it a few years back. Who was, I can't, I can't even remember the name. There was a young man who was here um for the i'm pretty sure close to the full season on the practice squad and doing i can't i can't think of it either somebody will know um but i I do remember the browns have been actively involved in this before so something to keep uh keep in mind all right next question um is the type of question that we 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 really enjoy it comes from dan frank he said i have a seven-year-old son who is a steelers fan just because he knows i despise them i'm i'm kind of flirting in that territory porter's about to turn six in like two weeks He's he's just getting into football and is just getting into the Browns and the name and the we want the Browns to win. But there are some days where I think he's going to try to find a way to spite me. And as he knows more and more about how I cover the Browns, I feel like he's going to try to push me with that. We'll see. To be determined. So I'm relating to Dan in this initial, initial question. He says, 
Just because he knows I despise them, he's a Steelers fan. He says, I coach his flag football team, and I get to choose the NFL team he has to be. He wants me to choose the Steelers, but I refuse to do so due to my lifelong hatred. My wife thinks I'm being immature about it. Am I wrong? The, I, yeah. The, I mean, first thing, this is a Big smile on your face. This is, yeah, this is, this is the type of question I love because there is not a good answer here, right? Because the there there are people listening right now that are Browns fans that would never – that would never allow. We have an update from Dan too since since the original question. So I, I want your initial yeah. thought, and then we'll do the update. There are there are people that would say they would never they would never allow they would never coach a team they would never willingly choose the Steelers name. And then there's other people I'm sure that are like, what's the big deal? It's a kids team, doesn't matter, you know. And and the immature angle, I I I honestly see both sides of it. I think it's a good lesson for the kid to learn that. Just because your favorite team is called the Steelers doesn't mean you get a special favor from your dad to name the team the Steelers. That's what I think. I I don't think I would do it either. If I was a dad and I had the choice, I could pick, we could pick someone else who could be. Yeah, I think that's the answer. Is that yeah. it's not the Browns or the Steelers. It's like the Packers or the Seahawks or something like that. Let me scroll up and see what Dan says here. So his follow up says <laughs> he has shed tears and begs my wife to convince me. I refuse to budge, but I am starting to feel bad. Seems hypocritical to tell him not to take losing so seriously and remind him it's just a game. And then he said, FYI, we are the Cowboys this spring. <laughs> so I find that to be one. He of took the our advice. He did, he did. He did take our advice. So they're the Cowboys. Funny stuff. Thanks for the question, Dan. Which you makes need more of those types of questions. Yeah. Makes Dan Mike McCarthy. It does. You got a one year, which is uh, you're coaching on a one year deal there, buddy. That's right. Yeah. Coaching yeah. for your life. Everybody will be watching you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, so you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that Game Time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, next one is yours if you want to go ahead and read that one, Andrew. Yeah, so uh, any theories as to why the zone defense continues to be a challenge with our defense. It was not good under Woods, and it continued to be a problem under Schwartz, and I will find who sent that one in. But this is definitely for you, Jake. I think the way I would say it is um, we have now multiple coordinators' worth of evidence of, um, I think, players that are good, but I don't think quite understand zone coverage the way that it needs to be played. And... I don't think it's crazy for anybody to say that there is, um, you know, um, a couple different phases of football here when you're playing defensive back. It's like a tight end who's better at catching than blocking, right? These guys are better at man coverage than they are at zone. They just are. And I am a little concerned about how they go about upticking things in zone or whatever when there's just such a propensity for them to miscommunicate and just not feel out route combinations the way they need to. Um, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. I don't have anything else to add in terms of like how they fix it or anything like that, but I've seen multiple pieces of evidence since they've had these, these, this core group in place of miscommunications in zone defense from being taught from two different people who come from two different coaching trees, two different trains of thought. You know, typically when someone has like, you know, again, like a learning disability or a different style of learning they prefer, you try to switch up how you're presenting it to them. And I would imagine that was done here. But what I would say is the Browns are playing the best type of defense for the type of DBs they have, but they have got to get better at playing zone coverage and communicating and understanding how things get passed off, 
the timing at which they get passed off because I'm watching teams like the Chiefs going crazy week to week with coverages. The Ravens are a very varied secondary in how they approach coverages. And the Browns are not, you know, if there's one thing they're not, it's not varied. They did some things. They they ignore the most popular defensive style now in quarters. They just, like, Schwartz doesn't run it. So that limits you uh, in a lot of different ways. And um, I think if you talk to them, the guys running it, I'm sure there's probably some concerns about the ability to consistently play the coverages the way they're supposed to when they're in zone. So I, it is one of the key things I am the most worried about for the future of this defense. has a lot of great features. Playing man, the ability to play man is not something every team can do. The Browns can do it. The problem is you need more than just that, as we witnessed a week ago in your chamber to beat teams. And I, I don't love the direction they have with that. And I'm concerned about it moving forward, man. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like the tackle situation in terms of, I don't think that the Browns cornerbacks are bad, No, but I, but I agree with you that they're not great at zone coverage and you can probably get away with Denzel Ward being kind of a little bit, I, I don't know what the right word here is, but he seems confused often, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. You can get away with that if the other guys know where they're supposed to be. They can kind of get him back on track. But if multiple guys are out there being confused, it's the blind leading the blind is the problem that you run into. And I think it's worth remembering that against the Texans, the safeties were Ronnie Hickman, DeAnthony Bell, Deron Harmon, and Juan Thornhill. And Thornhill has been in and out of the lineup all season. The guy that the two guys that seemed to get this defense lined up through the first half of the year were Rodney McLeod and Grant Delpit. Mm-hmm. When they were communicating pre-snap and really getting guys dialed in, those were the two guys that were often the most vocal. So I, I think that there's a problem where not enough of their defensive backs know their assignments, to be blunt. And I, again, don't love their ability to pattern match when doing things. like that. I just don't feel like they have a great feel for how that stuff works um to put it to put it bluntly this is one of the reasons why moving on from greg newsom is it should be a topic of conversation this off off season because it will be here right because there's the there's the part where he sometimes struggles to stick with guys in man often doesn't know where to be in zone and then had a little trouble accepting accountability for being beaten like a drum throughout the day in houston this week so very popular face on the Cleveland public scene, nightlife too. So yeah, I mean yeah. that stuff is whatever if you can play. And yeah, well, yeah, don't let it all multiply, right? right? And don't, for, don't, for, don't talk through it when people for a first know. round pick. Yeah, yep. they. I, I mean, where they're at salary cap wise, it makes no sense to me to pick up his fifth year option oh. and keep him around through the end of None. his contract. None. None. So. This is the time to get what you can for that guy and move on because you've got Emerson, you've got Ward on the outside. You can fix nickel for cheap. We know that in the NFL. You can fix nickel for cheap. And I think we both like Cameron Mitchell as a stopgap. Yep. So you pair Cameron Mitchell with a a veteran that can play the slot, I think you're fine for next year. Maybe the Broncos want to swap out like a Jerry Judy. I mean, that's been been talked about for a long time, and I think it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I I think trading Newsom for uh, somebody else's disappointing draft pick makes a ton of sense. Just taking a shot on a, a positional difference there, right? Exactly. Um, oh, that was by uh, that was from Brian, by the way. That question. Thanks, Brian, for that. Okay, uh, another quick one. I think you have, and then I'll take the last one. So go ahead. 
Yeah, so this this has kind of been trending on Twitter all week is the the idea of you know uh, pe- people naming obscure players, right? Uh, but uh, Commander of Awesome wanted to know who's the most random Browns player that's always on your mind. Always on my mind. Yeah, kind of stuck is, in there. Is different than like just pick a random Browns player, right? So I think always on my mind. For some reason, whenever this question is asked, so they would come up, would be like, like Miles Austin, like the, the, it was, he was so randomly good in that season that he was with the Browns, and he, and it's like you never think of him with the Browns. So that's the one that just like name a random Brown. It's like not necessarily somebody who's off the wall, right? Like a Bo Bell, right? It's like I just think of like Miles Austin. Like mm-hmm. how great that that time was that he spent with the Browns, but yeah, it's so great because that's literally the player, one of the players cited in his DM to me. So you you that's and Commander Blossom are on the exact same page, man. Um, I tend to think of uh, players from from longer ago. Like okay. I think about, I mean, I think about Dwayne Rudd, not just because of the helmet toss, but I think about Dwayne Rudd a lot. You remember how good Jameer Miller was? Jameer Miller was a good before player. he got hurt. Yeah, uh, some of those guys. That that was the period of time I was I was younger, and I would get irrationally sure that these guys were like right on the verge of being one of the best players in the league or something. If like yeah. a few things would go their way, and I, I just I did that so much more than it's like a form of like fantasy, you know, <laughs> where you you yeah. kind of just you build up what they can do and those sorts of things. I mean, Aaron Shea is another one of those players. Where it's like yeah. he has a chance to be a good starting tight end, and I mean it's like just a complete. It's, you're making things up, you know, but I, I, I did, I like, I definitely felt like I did a lot more of that, like in the, in the two thousands and then 20, the 2010s was about getting every last ounce of hope beaten out of me. <laughs> the 2010s were so bad. Yeah. Just a decade of, yeah. of don't, don't hope for any of these guys. That's because, where they lost a generation. So the for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and now the 2020s are about, Learning to love again. I I think about Jordan Cameron and Gary Barnage a lot too. Dude, Jordan Cameron was one of the ones I wanted to mention. He's a little bit later, but yeah, but that's a player that I do actually think in today's NFL would be. He went for nine seventeen and seven touchdowns. Yeah, he could that's do it. A year, man, he could do it. That's a real year. Um, They've had a lot of fun fun tight ends over the years. They really have. Sneaky too, like like yep. again, like you know, you didn't think Barnage was any good. And he's has all of these years of nothing in Carolina. Then he comes to Cleveland at 28. And then all of a sudden, this guy has a 79,043 and nine touchdown season at age 30 out of nowhere. And then yep. 2016, he has a half of that. And he's just done. He's just out of the NFL. Really, yep. really random mm-hmm. season. I might be one of the more random seasons ever. Gary Barnage, another guy who, if you look him up on Pro Football Reference, he might have like the most neck I've ever seen. That's random, but you need to look at the picture on Pro Football Reference. That, that's not normal. That he's like six two without that neck. He's six six is what he's listed at. So I'll wait for your reaction upon opening up Pro Football Reference for Gary Barnage because that thing is, that's a football neck. Son. <laughs> Dang, there we go. All Hats right. off to Gary. Hats off to Gary. I uh, hope you're doing well, man. Great season. We we liked watching you. Had a, some miraculous catches too. Yeah, and and of course the the worst part about this is remembering a guy that you feel like hasn't played in a million years and he's younger than you. That's yes. always a fun time. That is I'm always a fun. Gonna time. go 
go outside and just freeze to death. <laughs> All right, last question we have, uh, which came over via DM, so I want to make sure I give credit uh, for this one. And there it is. It's Phil Schleyball. I think I'm pronouncing that right, Phil. I hope I got it right. He said, I wanted to get your thoughts on whether the offensive coaching changes had something to do with the contrast we saw from the defense last year. He said, except for the last game, the defense exhibited dramatic change from last year, particularly in motivation and the coaching of certain players. You only need to look at the press conference to see the difference in the coaches and their intensity. Think about how that translates to the locker room. I also think the offense is in dire need of a fresh perspective, right? Um, and I agree. I agree with Phil about the perspective, but I want to be very careful. Um, defense is played with emotion where offense is not as much an emotional side of the football. It's more of a thinking side of the football. So I think defense, it's easier to have like a raw, raw defensive coordinator is my general theory. Like it's, I feel very comfortable in that take from years of football. Offense is just, it's a lot more thinking, coaching and um, teaching. Um, you know, there are those things for defense, but you can, you talk to any defensive coordinator, they're going to tell you passion and effort are like nine tenths of what it takes to be a good defense. So um, that part of like who they hire, I don't think you're going to see some gigantic difference in press conference vibes is, is kind of it. I, I'm looking for, and you mentioned it here, the coaching up of certain players. That's the stuff that we're going to key in on what the what how do they get more out of certain guys next year or the year after based on who they hire here so i am uh, with you about the perspective change the coaching up aspect also with that um but again if you're looking for a like a dramatic difference in vibe feel and like they get in front of a microphone and they're just very intense uh, i don't think you're going to get that and at least not in my experience you get that very often on the offensive side anything to add to that i do think that there's something to it in terms of the the running game being lackluster at times, the part where it felt like the Browns in previous seasons have imposed their will. I always think about Wyatt Teller coming to the sidelines during that Pittsburgh playoff game in 20. Mm -hmm. And that was the, you know, the Browns is the Browns stuff. And he was, uh, he was really fired up and, and they were putting the Steelers on their, on their butts all night long that night. So I think from that perspective, there's a little bit of that, that I felt was missing this year. O-line coaches are very intense. Right. That's a and, huge part of it. Yeah, and I don't, I'm don't. i not even saying necessarily that I need the coach to be grabbing face masks and slapping guys or whatever. But mm -hmm. but from the standpoint of having that mentality, I think the, obviously injuries played into this, but I think they lost some of that because, I mean, as we've talked about, guard center guard were on the field at least, if even if they weren't healthy for most of the season, right? Teller played the whole season. So I, I – I would like them to be able to get back to, yeah. in a in a game closing out situation, being able to dictate to teams. I think that's part of why the Andy Dickerson interview makes sense in terms of trying to figure out ways to get back to that. Uh, I I would add to that. Um, I think that this is there's not a very calculation worthy thing to say, but I feel like there hasn't always been a gigantic amount of like conviction in the way the offense plays that what they are running is going to work. And they know that I think that that was a thing that stood out to me this year is that I thought sometimes the effort and the intensity with which the movement happened from players on the field, I didn't love at times. And I think that there was a, like a lack of like every time you get in the, I remember this as a quarterback, like I could get in the huddle and I could call play and I could tell the reaction of my wide receivers whether they were 
fired up to run the play or not. And it wasn't always just runs. Like, you, you know, what I'm getting at is, obviously I think Kevin's good and I think they're doing the best they can. But I, wor- I wonder and worry about the conviction at which the, the group believed that what they were going to run was going to be successful last year. And that's probably driven by quarterback play at times. Like, you know, I'm going to go out here and run a 10-yard slant. and It's not going to be, I'm not going to get the ball or, you know, I'm running a backside route here. It doesn't matter. So there's some of that. But, like, I would like them to feel, I would like to feel like they're having more fun with what they're doing next year on offense, whether that's more movement, snap, pre-snap, post-snap, whatever. Um, I just would like them to have more conviction to feel like it there. You know, there's more conviction that what they're going to run is going to work. And that uh, is reflective in how they go about the intensity post-snap. That's something uh, that I noted this year. I think that's a great point. I think that's a great way of saying it. And I think that there was definitely a sense over the course of the season that a lot of their runs, especially were dead on arrival. Yes. I I mean, it, it is worth repeating. These are the things that we will bring up again and again. People get tired of me saying it. The Browns were by far, the leaders in the league in negative runs over the course of the season. Yeah. Even fun. more than not running the ball successfully, negative runs are so harmful because of when you tend to run, you tend to run in situations where you can't really afford to lose yardage. That's why you're running often. Yes. So you're now you're behind the sticks often and it puts the puts the pass rush component on the table so so much for teams that it was really one of the biggest combination problems is that they couldn't pass block well so they ran the ball and then they would run the ball and lose yardage and then they would have to pass block and it would, wouldn't go well and that's the end of a drive correct i uh nothing more disheartening than when you're trying to run and you lose five yards second and four let's let's get a first down nuts now third and nine because we ran right. the ball that's yes exactly it's it's so that getting that solved and i think to to your point about attitude mm-hmm Part of that is the running backs, I think, not seeing it well. And then part of it is also the that execution, that urgency that I think is built from knowing. I mean, you're absolutely right. The defense is played with emotion. I think offense is played with emotion insofar as you know early in the game that you've got the other team's number. I think that's a little bit of what happened to the Browns in Houston is that the Texans offense was like, oh, well, we can get whatever we want against these guys. Correct. And it's now you're standing in front of a, a snowball rolling downhill. You're just, it's an avalanche. It's a different level of fun when you get in the huddle and you're like, these guys don't know how to stop us. They have no clue. And I, I remember the first time I ever noticed the Browns doing that, that I can really remember, was the second half of that 2014 opener yep. with Pittsburgh. When I was, I was like, say it had to be 14. They have no clue how to stop mm-hmm. the Browns right now mm-hmm. in this comeback. Now, the Browns, I think, ultimately lost that game, but like, they did. Like they had made a ridiculous comeback in the second yeah. half. And I was like, this is this is actually fun to watch. These guys are putting Pittsburgh in a blender in a way I, you know, 2014 younger, you know, like I don't I don't remember seeing for a long time. So that was cool. And um the Browns have done that with Kevin. There have been times. Absolutely. Right? Been times. And so. a lot of it is down to Nick Chubb. We haven't mentioned his name in this conversation, and he makes bad runs good as much as any back in the league. So I, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the offensive play callers, or play caller, the, all that changing, the offensive staff changing, I should say, mm-hmm. is the Browns lost Chubb early and could not find it for 18 straight weeks, which I think gives you a really good indication of how much he helps them be right even when they're wrong. Yeah. And they realize, I think, I think his loss exposed some problems that they didn't know they had 
in terms of the way their run game is built. I'm going to be interested. One of the position groups I'm most interested to see what they do with is running back because it is all hanging in the balance because Nick is not going to be Nick for a little while still like that thing is going to linger. That was one of the worst I've seen and not that Nick's not superhuman and can't like grow another. We lost a leg, grow it back. But like you really got to look at the people that were in house and say, this answer wasn't good enough. Right. So, uh, okay, let's do this before we get out the door. Let's pick the, um, thanks. Thanks guys for the questions. Those are awesome. Let's pick these games. Uh, and we're going to go pretty, pretty fast. So Texans and Ravens at four 30 on Saturday, it is Baltimore laying nine and a half in that one. How are you feeling about it? Because the betting stuff is telling us that they think the Texans are not going to I mean, there's a lot of like one touchdown CJ Stroud pick them stuff going on here. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, the total is 43 and a half and the Ravens are 10 point favorites. So that tells you that they think this is going to be one sided. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like, I, I know that there's a lot of like teams coming off sitting week 18 starters. I think TA posts, the Cleve TA posted to this, mm-hmm. the team sitting week 18 starters and having a bye week the, the covering the spread is not um, encouraging data. They win like 50, 50, but the data is yeah. not encouraging on covering. I think there's every reason to expect the Ravens start a little bit slow. We'll see how they go. We'll see if the Texans jump on them the way they jumped on the Browns, but I don't see any reason based on what the Texans did last week to the Browns. I know that it's very different defensive philosophies, Mm -hmm. but the Texans could not be a more confident football team right now. Correct. And the Ravens have not played meaningful football in three weeks. I think that matters. We'll see. So I'll take the the Texans, obviously. I think I'm going to lean on taking the Texans and the points too, right? That's what we're doing. We're not, we're not picking the Texans to win. I'm I'm not, maybe you are, but I'm, I'm taking the Texans and the points. I think they have a puncher's chance because the I the Ravens play good defense holistically. I like Nico Collins matchup against any defensive back for mm-hmm. the Ravens. Isn't if Humphrey Stroud, out? Is Humphrey out? Humphrey is out. So if Stroud can get the ball to Collins, I, I there is a recipe here for yeah. the Texans to beat the Ravens. I have all season thought that the Ravens are gettable. They have not gotten anybody's best shot. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The Ravens have not gotten anybody's best shot since they barely beat the Rams at the beginning that's, of December. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Confident bunch heading in there. Um, $126, the low ticket. So you can get in, not, not uh, going to break the bank. So weather should be decent. Should be a fun game to watch. Eight fifteen again, Packers 49ers, you have San Francisco laying a full 10 in this one. Another team that took starters out of the field uh, week 18 um, and then obviously didn't didn't play last week with a bye. So uh, the same data applies to this one. Who are you taking? It's really kind of the same thinking as the Texans and the Ravens for me. Mm-hmm. It's I have much more a doubt about the Packers defense ability to do anything against the 49ers. And I think the Packers offense will look worse in negative game scripts against the 49ers because they part of the reason they it's, it's the avalanche theory again, right? Mm -hmm. Like the part of the reason they beat the Cowboys the way they did was they were mixing the run in the past so well because they had the lead all game. Yeah. I like the Packers to keep it within 10, but I, it's much harder for me to see a path for the Packers to beat the 49ers than it is the Texans beating the Ravens. I, yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to take the 49ers in the cover on this one. They're going to win by 13. That's my guess. There we go. 
Um, you laid that out better than I did, but if there's nothing better for me to say, I'm just going to give my pick. Next one, uh, and you can also get into that one for 144. I'm only doing the ticket prices to get in because of this ticket price in in Detroit. Four hundred and thirty nine dollars yep. just to get in the door. Just that's to get fun. in the door. And I would imagine that's how this uh, this sort of thing a divisional round game would be in Cleveland too. Same price. Um, Bucks travel to uh, Ford Field. It is a um, Detroit Lang six is the is the number here. And I feel like this is where Baker Mayfield comes back down to earth. And I feel like this is one I'm confident the Lions win by a touchdown. So I'll take the Lions. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of like the way Tampa Bay matches up against the Lions a little bit. All right. Uh, I think the Lions are going to struggle offensively a little bit more than they did last week against the Rams just because Todd Bowles is a... I think still a really good defensive coordinator game planner for a, a one week type game. I, I I really like the Lions offense, but I am honestly leaning towards taking the six with the Buccaneers. And I again, I, I think it's hard to see with that home field advantage, Tampa Bay winning, mm-hmm. but I I like it to be a field goal game. All right. Biggest game of the slate here is this. Um pretty jarring stat that is the the chiefs on the road at the bills and from what i understand this is the first true road game of patrick mahomes playoff career that's insane i mean talk about a spoiled group man uh the chiefs have been i i can't wait to watch them play on the road now this is the same home stadium that the bills let joe burrow come into last year and beat them so this isn't something that's ungettable by any stretch and I'm actually kind of surprised that the Bills tickets uh, you can get in for 188, given the nature of this game and how much the Bills people seem to hate Chiefs people because of that game two years ago. But yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I am interested in your take on this one. It's, it's the Bills actually laying three, and um, again, I'm really, I'm really, really interested to see what this looks like for Mahomes on the road. Here's the thing with this: if the Bills can't beat the Chiefs here with a home game. With the Chiefs in the state that they're in, it has dire implications for this the entire Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills, this whole run, man. Mm -hmm. Like it just it we we talk a lot as as Browns fans about the feeling that gets into the stadium when they're losing a game you don't expect them to lose, or you know, it happens often with the Steelers and the Ravens, right? where things all of a sudden aren't going their way and guys, the fans start to get nervous and the players can feel it. That absolutely is going to be the case in Buffalo tomorrow because they, I can't imagine the feeling of being a Buffalo fan and watching Kansas City come in there and take like a 10-point lead. Yep. You'd be sick to your stomach. You couldn't breathe at that point. So there is immense get this monkey off our back juice to this game and it can cut both ways right because there's one scenario where the bills blow them out and then you almost make them super bowl favorites because they're just going to be playing so loose and free because they finally got over the hump Uh and then there's another scenario where like i said they get down 10 and that entire stadium is so tight that you can hear a pin drop and they they alan throws one bad pick and it's the route is on so i can see this one going either of those ways. It feels to me like this Bills team is kind of going through a little bit of what the Browns went through this season where you think it's over and then they just keep 
figuring out ways to win. And I think this might actually weirdly be Buffalo's year based solely on how bad it got that they kind of, they got to the point of no return. And now it's been a must win game for them for what a month and a half. So I think they're in better shape to win this one. I think they do. It's all been building to this. I would say if they let, uh, if they let Burrow come in and beat them last year and let Mahomes come in and beat them this year, it's going to be some considerations of some resets. Guys getting older, like you said. All that being said, I'm going to take the Bills to cover and win this game. What do you did you pick yours? Yeah, I'll take the Bills. Okay, just want to make sure I heard it right. So we're taking the Bills. Yep. And that is all we have for a podcast. That is plenty of stuff. So for Andrew and I, thanks for stopping by. Enjoy your weekend. We have. Um, you know, maybe perhaps a show on Sunday to post. We'll see where we maybe talk through what happened with Baltimore and some things like that. We'll see. So check back on Sunday. But um, otherwise, thanks for stopping by. As we always say, rate and review the pod on the way out the door. Uh, I think that continues to help people find this podcast uh, at a really high clip. So thanks for doing that. And then, um, you know, like you said, continue to check out the OBR for all the content, uh, including everything we hear about coordinator or running back coach or Um, tight end coaches is something we haven't heard anything about Uh, all of those uh, updates will be there and found for you so thanks for being here Uh, have a great have a great saturday be well and go browns everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.